Welcome to The Green Route. You're listening to The Green Route with Maradi Design. We are your hosts, Mark and Diana. For our sixth episode and season two debut, we're speaking with Caterina Romanelli, a sustainability expert who wears many hats, from being a seasoned professional in responsible investment to being the current innovation lead at her family's organic farm in northeastern Italy. She has spent the last several years experimenting with innovative business and impact models that aspire to transform agriculture and food systems at Lorto Felice, or Happy Garden, a family's organic farm. With Caterina, we talk about the importance and challenges of urban farming, her deep-rooted respect for biodiversity and ecological preservation, and why she believes that eating is an agricultural act. She offers insight into how to support local farmers, where to look to source better and more local products for yourself, and why eating in season is key. So come along for the ride to hear more about what Caterina shared with us. Caterina Romanelli, welcome to The Green Route. Hello. We are so thrilled for this episode with a very special guest for all of our listeners who is coming all the way to you from Italy. So to jump in, why don't you, Katarina, give our listeners a little bit more context about who you are, your background, what you do, and where and how it all intersects with agriculture? Okay, it's it's a very it's a very good question to start with because uh, every time I have trouble like introducing myself and sort of like you know not getting people confused about who I am and what I do. So let's say uh, that I have um, somehow a bipolar uh, life um, in a way that, but it kind of makes sense. But um, what I want to say is that. Um, so the say, let's say like the intersection or the sort of like a feel rouge uh, of, of, of my life, it's, it, I would say sustainability, which is really something that I deeply care about. And it has been like sort of like a constant throughout my professional life. But, um, if I were to define myself, I'd say that, uh, a half of my life is being a sustainability uh, professional, especially in the sustainable finance and impact investing uh, space. And the other half is managing an organic farm um, in Italy. Um, so somehow also putting all these uh, sustainability principles into practice in a much smaller and uh, tangible scale, I would say. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit uh, about me. Just to give you, uh, I don't know, first a uh, first Just take. a taste. In a, yeah. in a- in a, in a nutshell. No, it's uh, obviously uh, very, very excited to talk with you. And again, uh, we know each other pretty well, pretty, very good <laughs> friends. Uh, but just um, some that some things that our listeners don't necessarily know about you. And um, again, the, your farm, so uh, Lorto Felice, uh, is, a, is a family affair, right? Like it's, uh, it's not just you who started it. It comes from a, from a, it's a generational thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm... Uh... 
actually currently third with the fourth generation in the making um, uh, on the on the on the farm. So it's been um, yeah, it's been a project that's that's really been like transmitted throughout throughout the the, the family for since I would say the the fifties. That's when my my granddad started the the, the activity, uh, and it has sort of evolved also with time. So, at the very beginning, it was rather. I mean, the the I would say the the activity was really rooted around um, cows. So my my granddad was part of this like a very local, very tiny cooperative of uh, milk producers. So uh, it was, I think, around 10 or 20 farmers mm-hmm. uh, who would every day um, provide like this, the, the, the milk to this co-op. And once a month, they had the right to use all the milk from the day to make their own cheese. The rest would be used by the, by the co-op. And um, my granddad, um, he managed this, this activity until he retired. And when he retired, my dad, actually, who had always been like, you know, helping um, the family, yeah, the family farm and stuff, but was not working as a farmer at all. Like he was, I think back in the days, like being like, a, I don't know, like he was working in some, some sort of like mechanic uh, little factory or so. Uh-huh. Um, decided to mm-hmm. take over the farm, but give it a different, uh, a different uh, like twist sort of. So he decided mm-hmm. to first convert the entire farm farm in organic agriculture, which was at the end of the eighties. So something really, I would say, not like quite uncommon back back in the days because there mm-hmm. was no really tradition for that. Um, still, very very few. Uh, farms were, were were using organic farming principles back in the day, so it was a very very much of a, I would say somehow of, of a visionary uh, that he decided to, wow. you That's know, to implement these new agriculture methods, and also he decided to switch from cows to vegetables. So the, the entire production <laughs> uh, system of the farm switched from, um, you know, uh, fields that were used for grazing and for um, you know, growing uh, the, the grass and stuff for for the cows, to um, the, the the yeah the fields that were then used to to um, to grow vegetables and greenhouses and mm-hmm. um, the entire different um, production system. Wow. And what he decided to do was also to um, to sort of like structure the farm in 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 a way to be as closest as he could to the final consumer so the idea was they're not gonna use they're not gonna serve supermarkets they're not gonna serve like you know big um uh, organizations mm-hmm. but rather just go to the city every day and you know feed the people yeah. locally mm-hmm. so wow. that was the the, the um, yeah the idea actually when, when my dad started this uh, this farm and like um fast forward 30 years later um <laughs> The farm has, uh, you know, evolved, uh, grown. Uh, the also the market, the sociology, everything yeah. has changed mm-hmm. also since the the eighties, of course. Yeah. And um, how do I enter the picture? Uh, it's because um, back in the days I was living in Paris. I was working in an investment fund, and I've always had this uh, sort of like little voice in the corner, or like the little 
like passion of mine that has, you know, it's food, sustainability, how do we link these two things? And um, so I, I was in a phase of my life where I decided to quit my job. So I was in a sort of like, a, let's call it sabbatical, a <laughs> um, couple of months. Um, and so what happened is that my dad back in the, in, in those, uh, in those years, he was, uh, wondering what to do with the farm because it was sort of a transition phase for him, for him too. You know, the farm has grown. It used to be a family farm. It needed to become a more like a entrepreneurial farm. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. he sort of jumped on the occasion of having me sort of uh, free. <laughs> Um, for for a couple of months, uh, with the promise of you know just come help, figure out things, uh, give just us for a, a little bit, take a couple of months, just for a little bit, yeah. So that's how I entered the 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 the, the picture of the uh, of the farm, and um, and then you know this entire phase has been like. Uh, um, you know, the, the, the thing with the farms, and we're going to probably talk about it a little bit more in, in details after, is that everything that you learn about like companies, like traditional companies or startups or everything, like how quick you must go um, with the farms, it doesn't work. So <laughs> it's all about like a season. <laughs> It's all about like uh, mm-hmm. observing and understanding and then trying to make some small steps the year after and then hoping that's going to work out. Right. So it's um, it's yeah. um, I would say it's more like a patient uh, work comparing yeah. you, to what you, I was you cannot you cannot rush uh, nature. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's um, that. I mean, you took us exactly in the direction that we wanted to go, which was like the evolution of the farm over the generations. I know. I mean, I've heard the story. I guess I just maybe it's hearing it again in this context. Like, as you said, first, how revolutionary for your dad coming in and really changing directions from, you know, this sort of cow farming, dairy farming to, I mean, switching it completely and going into vegetables. One thing that I do want to make sure that we bring up, because this I I know as the insider tip, um, and I would like you to speak to it a little bit more, is I believe you shared that your dad was the one that started bringing back like ancient varieties of seeds and of certain crops. I know we had talked about like different beans and things like that. So Talk a little bit more about that because that's so fascinating. Again, your dad was clearly a visionary and ahead of his time to to be thinking about those things, let alone like taking action on it. Yeah. Um, well, I have to say also my mom too. Like, you know, it was not her primary job, but yeah. she's the one who's really like the, I would say also very much of a visionary and she's always had this like very long-term and very wide perspective on, on, yeah. on everything. And she is the, um, in French, uh, we would say something like botaniste manqué, you know, like she could have been a, a yeah. bota- botanist, yeah. I don't know. Or botanist, botanist. yeah. Um, is really like into, um, you know, food by diversity and, and by diversity in general. And that's, I think, thanks to her that also the farm has this very specific uh, mm-hmm. uh, focus on, um, on, on varieties. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this is something that I also grew fond about when, since I, since I was a kid, basically, because I, I have like, you know, memories of 
me going with my parents, like, um, you know, either in the remote valleys of, of our of our region, um, meeting with grandpas and grandmas, sort of like trying to find this like old variety of bean that you only have in this village. And there is like three grandpas who have it and you have to convince them to give you five seeds, you know. And, uh, yeah. and so that <clears throat> that kind of uh, like perspective and also like this, you know, envisioning somehow nature as uh, like a treasure that you want to preserve and that you want to, to save. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's something that's really been rooted in, in, in the philosophy of the of the farm. So um, I'm going to try to keep my focus and not go. Uh, everywhere no, no, it's great. My thoughts, but it's the, great. It's all good. So we really have this very strong focus on food biodiversity. And mm-hmm. let's say that it sort of like came out both from the, on one hand, I would say the traditional crops of the area, of the region here. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Italy is, everything is traditional. Everything is like, you know, every little region and piece of land has his specific crops and and, and the mm-hmm. So we started from that, I would say, and then we sort of like, uh, uh, I don't know, extended that to the crops that we love. So mm-hmm. um, on one hand, we have, you know, this uh, many, many varieties. It's uh, around 70 varieties of beans, mm-hmm. um, which uh, it's really like a traditional crop from the from the region. So it's uh, these mountain beans that are really, really tall. They grow very, very, very tall and that we've been sort of domesticated to, wow. to <laughs> grow also in the flatlands where we are. Because yeah. um, traditionally they, they would come from the valleys and from the, from the mountains of, of, of mm-hmm. my region. Um, and then there is uh, also, we have, yeah, around 60 or even more actually, probably now we're around 80 uh, varieties of tomatoes. And um, wow. the tomato story is, I mean, it's not necessarily about varieties of our very own region, but it's because we love mm-hmm. tomatoes. And um, also we... <laughs> Who doesn't? Uh, <laughs> makes sense, right? And, uh, <laughs> and we, we started, uh, I think, 20 years ago. My, my parents became friends with this um, incredible lady who was a British botanist who consecrated all her life on the research um, about... Um, orange and yellow tomatoes. So she basically okay. was testing her her varieties and her like research in our fields, and so we were able to, mm-hmm. you know, access this this wide, incredible varieties of of yellow tomatoes that she saved wow. throughout the years, and that we, I mean, she sort she sort of she sort of gave them to us as a sort of like moral heritage, you know, wow. so we could continue this. Um, this tradition and i mean that's what we've been doing also with with the tomatoes so like you know just imagine 20 years ago no one was eating yellow tomatoes so it was like we were doing a lot of tomato sauce with yellow tomatoes because (laughs) we couldn't sell them um and now you know you know with time and everything like people are getting more and more into heirloom varieties Mm -hmm. exactly uh, funny shapes uh, funny colors and, and, and 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 of course it's you know, it's become sort of, um, I wouldn't say like our trademark, but, you know, people come to us because we have these weird varieties, yeah. not, not just of tomatoes, but about everything. 
Yeah. And then I would say, which is also very much linked with the, with the food and biodiversity um, side of things. It's mm-hmm. also everything that goes around nutrition and everything that goes around, um, you know, like healing yourself and like, you know, feeling good uh, thanks to the food. Mm-hmm. So I think that what we also try to, to have a, as a role because we, we think you know we're not just meant to produce food but also meant to use food as a medium for people to connect and for people to uh, learn mm-hmm. uh, and so for example what we try to do and what's really part of the I would say the experience of coming to our farm is mm-hmm. learning to cook but also learning how to use the right veggies the right plants the right I don't know fruits uh, also for health purposes, right? So, mm-hmm. of course, it's not about uh, getting rid of medicines, but it's, you know, if you can also start healing yourself or just like uh, um, making yourself stronger by the way you eat, then, yeah. you know, it makes a lot of sense. The Well, the power of the power of nutrition and the power of like, you know, something that I feel like mainstream for so long has been overlooked is the impact of, food is literally the thing that you put directly into your body, you know, and why don't we as a society, and again, on a mainstream level, why aren't we all valuing that on a much higher level? You know, I mean, again, there obviously are groups of people that do, um, but generally speaking, we're still not there that, you know, and again, Mark and I, I mean, I'll speak from the American perspective of it, you know, again generalization but it's like food is so powerful and and what it means to you know to humans is you know i mean it's not something to be overlooked or to be i think diminished you know mm-hmm. as as you've spoken to and maybe uh one, one thing actually because uh your farm also i mean again as you said your region so you are in udine uh in the friuli region so just for people that don't really seen, uh, understand the yeah. italian uh, i mean even uh, italian <laughs> so you're basically no, between I mean, between venice and uh, and uh, croatia slovenia right like so this uh top top like uh east corner yeah which is yeah, a beautiful exactly. region again if and, people that listen don't know it it's, it's just a beautiful region that, that needs to be more yeah, go, known go, because... go there. yeah honestly yeah. before before it becomes too risky, it's, <laughs> it's worth it exactly um, but yeah it's, um, it's a region that's um always been like a land of like i would say of mixtures a land of like a communion between between different different populations mm-hmm. and uh, it's a region that also you know was also not always italian i mean we've been under the austrian empire um mm-hmm. then there was like you know also like the the republic of venice was um, in mm-hmm. that uh, in that area so i mean i think it's also very much of a special place when it comes to this tradi- food traditions because mm-hmm. you you can eat a little bit of austro-hungarian cuisine you can eat uh, the mediterranean cuisine uh, that you would maybe eat also in the dalmatian islands in, uh, in in croatia if you go towards the coast or you you could eat some traditional venetian uh, dishes that you can also mm-hmm. find yeah in in Venice, and then you have yeah this very like also earthy and um, mm-hmm. um, you know like not so not so light uh, mountain food. Uh, so it's it's <laughs> very much of a, uh, of a melting pot, I would say. It really really yeah. shows that in like you know cross 
and still now, I mean, in the region, that's also why um, all these old varieties sort of survived, I think, until now. It's because mm-hmm. um, until very recently that there were valleys, there were regions in, in within my region that were still very much or still are very much rooted in, in their own culture, which mm-hmm. is different from the mainstream culture of Italy, I would say, right? Yeah. So. No, interesting. And also one when, uh, when other characteristic of your farm, it's, uh, it's based in the city, which is also like incredible because yeah. literally like, uh, I think it's also something that's super um, um, interesting and uh, unique, I would say. I mean, we will talk more about that, but you, we, you consider and your farm is considered a, a urban farm, right? Urban that's, farm. The, that's how yeah. you would define it. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, when someone talks about the farm in Italy, the you know stereotype image is like, oh, Tuscan hills and uh, yeah. <laughs> um, full yeah. nature and cypresses and stuff like that, which, I mean, of course, it's awesome and it's great, but um, it's, it's not our farm. I mean, our farm is in the city. Literally, the city grew mm-hmm. around the farm because this yeah. land has been, you know, sort of like... Uh, um, steward, um, yeah. I would say, by by my family for like this many many years, and so before it was sort of countryside, but then the city mm-hmm. grew around us, yeah. and so I mean our neighbors is houses, and um, I mean also like a elementary school and kindergarten, and they're very very happy to have us as neighbors, of course. Um, <laughs> But it's yeah, it's 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 a farm within the city, and it's a farm which is at walking distance from the train station. You know, so it's like we're not like out of nowhere. We are in the middle of the city. So yeah. that's mm-hmm. I think uh, something that's. I mean, if if you, it's maybe less bucolic, less uh, you know idyllic yeah. as a as a, as a setup. But on the other hand, I think that it really embodies the nourishing role that farms should have for cities, right? Be mm-hmm. them a small city like Udine can be because it's like uh, only 100,000 uh, people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, let's imagine it at a bigger scale. That's where farms should be, right? You know, like because, of mm-hmm. course, like uh, what we have seen also in the, in, in the past decades is that uh, cities, metropolis, but also like medium cities have been increasingly dependent on food from outside. They don't produce yep. food anymore with uh, close to the city. So I think it's somehow, if you think about it from a macro perspective, is also part of our role to be close, the closest we can to the, to the mm-hmm. citizens. Absolutely. This is so perfect how we evolved into our, our the next topic that we really wanted to hit on was just going once one layer deeper into urban farming, what is an urban farm? Like really explicitly kind of defining the characteristics for our listeners, because again, there are some people that are very, you know, in tune and, and, and understand what it is as there are others that still have a very sort of old school image of, you know, farming and, and exactly what you described in the beginning, you know, with your grandfather, how he started it and how the city since, you know, in three generations has developed around it. Um, I also would say that your farm is very idyllic as people who have visited on multiple occasions. It is so beautiful. And the one thing that you said that I feel really captures the sentiment, but again, listeners have to go to understand, um, when you are at your farm, you do feel this like 
powerful connection and like community feel. And, and I wonder if that is because of the fact that it is quite literally in the middle of the city. Um, you just, you feel this like energy, you know, and I don't know if it's from, you know, everyone who's working and, you know, doing different tasks to your greenhouses, but it's really, I mean, to me, it's like a very magical place. You know, maybe it's the fact that things are growing, you know, from the earth. It feels like there's really deep connection to nature. But my point is that there, there's a pretty powerful sentiment that I've felt, you know, when I've, when I've been at your farm. Um, so why don't we take that? Why don't we kind of define some of those characteristics of urban farming um, as you see it? Okay. I mean, just... As a as a beginner, I would uh, uh, to begin with, I, I would say just bear in mind it's my own uh, definition. Yes. So it's not. I mean, uh, I I wouldn't be at ease to give like you know this definition as the definition of of, of, of urban farming. For no, sure. of course, but, of course. Um, I would say that you know it could be many many different things because I mean, um, for example, what people would think when they think urban farm is like. A, I don't know, like hydroponics uh, or, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know, garden on a rooftop or a garden in a garage or something like that, which is also urban urban farming. But for me, the, 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 um, yeah, I would say that the, 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 key element in, in that it's that it's urban. So it's like in the city, within mm-hmm. the city, close mm-hmm. to the city, close to the people. And um, and the, 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 the main objective of it is to basically to, to, to give people uh, of the cities uh, the most local food you can get, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I mean, and again, I think this... this um, sort of like a dream of, of uh, you know, bringing in more autonomy when it comes to, 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 to food supplies um, for, for cities. I think it's very much what we feel urban farming should be. Um, but again, it's, 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 our, it's our definition. Yeah. And also I would say, um, I mean, there is something special about like the freshness of something that's harvested the same the same day and you can put it on your table right so it's mm-hmm. it's it, i think it's part of the promise so it doesn't come from far away it's mm-hmm. not been harvested two weeks ago and lived in a fridge it's mm-hmm. alive you know that, that, that kind of thing so you, if, if even from a nutritional uh perspective we we know now from you know from studies that the uh, basically, the, the 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 vegetables and the fruits and uh, and and produce can in the level of vitamins and mm-hmm. um, lowers basically. You know, the, the more you keep them in your in your fridge, yeah. right? So the, the idea is also uh, how about we create a model where we don't need to to, to harvest stuff when when it's not ripe, or yeah. we don't need to. Um, you know, to 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 transport uh, vegetables from you know thousands yeah. of kilometers, yeah. so we can right. sort of like uh, have what's what's grown here and um, and just you know provide it fresh to people every day. Yeah. So yeah, the huge impact on obviously the the food supply and, and actually how does that um, materialize for you? Like, because I know you 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 obviously also. Uh, sell your products in markets and stuff like that but do you do you see like a, so you you sell directly to consumers all the time do you also have uh, third parties that you 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 sell to 
How does that work? Um, so I would say that 95% of what we sell is sold directly to, um, to custom, I mean, to, to citizen, to customers, mm-hmm. um, because that's, I would say our, our philosophy and, uh, our, our goal since, since the beginning, because we sort of want to reduce the intermediaries, you know, between the consumer and, and the producer. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, we're also increasingly over the, I would say the last five years, we've been increasingly serving also restaurants, uh, mm-hmm. which, uh, I would say is a tricky public, uh, like it's, mm-hmm. it's, um, <laughs> I know uh, other farmers, especially in the U.S., who ha- have managed to build an entire business only on serving restaurants. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that in Italy, and especially in local Italy, not Milan or big cities or stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, we're a little bit spoiled in a way that, um, <laughs> let's say, uh, maybe restaurateurs are used to uh, source locally uh, are also used to you know no farmers and stuff like that so there is less of a need of this kind of food from the restaurants and so mm-hmm. something that you would see very easily in the US or even like in France or in uh, in, in bigger cities where there is a real partnership between the yeah. between the chef and the producer and you can also um, you know have this sort of strategies where you you tell the the chef i don't know like uh, uh listen i'm going to consecrate um, this piece of land for you just let me know what you want me to grow and then you're going to get every week or whenever you want you're going to get mm-hmm. a fresh supply of, of food um this is less the case here it's a bit uh, it's it's very hard to convince uh, chefs to have this sort of like um forward looking yeah. uh, mentality mm-hmm. Um, I would say that there is, there are a couple of like notable exceptions, um, Mm -hmm. but those are more, I would say, um, like, you know, very high end gastronomy, um, restaurants with like two plus Michelin star, um, Mm -hmm. stars and, and this kind of people, they oftentimes even have their own garden. Right. Yeah. So I would say for the average restaurant, it's it's a bit tough to have mm-hmm. a you know just a, I mean they're gonna buy from you but it's there, there is no partnership involved I mean it's like you know mm-hmm. they buy for you from you when they see when they like or when they see that there is a good price but it's not um, it's not a long term uh, project that yeah. you can set yeah. up which you uh, I mean on the other hand um, I've seen uh, working very well in 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 other places you know. Yeah, it, I mean, like in the US, for exactly uh, that. Yeah, the fact that you mentioned that, I mean, we've definitely seen some of those models that, um, you know, a farmer is setting up either, you know, half or a majority of their farm to, you know, provide produce for a restaurant or multiple restaurants. And like you said, that especially for the farm to table movement that I think compared to Europe, mm-hmm. you know, it it sort of happened in a a wave behind Europe. Um, But that wave in the US, you know, I think people were really trying to like, really, you know, figure out sourcing locally, especially communities that are focused more on that, like, you know, local, again, the farm to table mentality, and and also just like, providing that freshly harvested food um, for their customers, which is exactly where we wanted to. I mean, also, 
Yeah, sorry. No, uh, no, no, go. I was thinking please. also about the whole like uh, CSA uh, movement mm -hmm. yes. in, in the US, which is so huge. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's <clears throat> something that, you know, some somehow it does exist in Italy, but it's very like seldom and scattered comparing to the, I, I would say, mm -hmm. the phenomena in the US. Yeah. And and I don't know. I, I guess it's really like it's a cultural thing. Like you know, the the random Italian wants to come to the market, and he wants to pick, and he wants yeah. to talk. Yes, uh, about you know the food, the recipe, the everything. The, it's it's coming on a Saturday yeah. uh, morning at the market, and he's, he's meeting friends before for coffee, mm. after for aperitivo, yeah, and so. Uh, the 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 I mean not not to be too much in the, in in the stereotype but but the idea is that really people love to choose yeah and they're not ready to yeah. commit for like a black box sort of yes. kind of thing yeah yeah, so, yeah. So, well this is where the I mean, the US is all about it's all about convenience you know this is where American we, culture is all about that whereas I guess Italy I mean and in France is just it's similar I guess uh, you you have uh, some sort of like ritual around around yeah. going to the market. Meaning with yeah. the the producer talking about uh, what what they're doing, what's good, right. what's not, what you, where you should you know all, all those things. Which again in the US it's more about okay, I'm paying for a service, I'm getting it, that's good, everyone's happy, and uh, good business, you know. Well, and yeah. I I will. I mean, on the other hand, sorry. No, no, no. Please ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. Please go ahead. We want to hear what you have to say. No, I mean. I uh, uh, I I wanted to say that there there has been though still some like social social sociological like evolution mm -hmm. uh, in the whole like relationship to market that we have um, in in Italy because you know if I think about the beginning of the 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 farm when my dad started you know they were going to the market every single day and there were people coming to the market yeah. to buy every single day um, yeah. right now there is of course, a switch, because like, you know, if before, you know, a lot of women, for example, were not working, so they, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, not working, they were working, but being unpaid. Yes, let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's be clear. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they were just, you know, being in charge of everything of the, of the, for the, for the household. Mm -hmm. And so they would, you know, come every morning to the market, pick the food to, to cook yep. for, for, you know, the, the family. I mean, right now, um, it's, it's, I mean, time has changed. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and so, for example, what we see is that, uh, people who come to the market tend to come more on weekends, so or end of the end of the week because it's when the, they have yeah. actually time to cook, right? Yep. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, that's that's a it, good it's point. It's also like you know, it's, it's also changing, right? Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. and you know, it's it's so funny. I think it's really really important to just make sure that we highlight this like difference that we've all observed from over time of how it's even evolved in, you know, in Italy or in France or, you know, fill in the blank, let's say in Europe, um, to, you know, to your point, Mark, of, you know, CSAs and how they're organized in the U.S. It is really all about convenience. I mean, we definitely did one when we were in Chicago. Um, and it's funny, too, because in some of these, you know, you can go to any number of organizations, but like this, this comment that we said, you know, talking to producers about recipes and things like that, well, 
sometimes in our CSA boxes, they would like put in recipes, you know, like little pieces of paper. Like it's a completely different type of exchange. I'm not saying that, you know, one is better over the other. It's a preference. But Mm -hmm. then I'll add in even like a hybrid model that I experienced when uh, when we lived in Paris and Katarina, I know you're well familiar with La Rouge qui dit oui. So mm-hmm. let's call it a urban farm slash CSA um, sort of organization that is now throughout Europe. I think they're in a few different countries. Yeah, we actually take, we, we, we take part in it uh, uh, also with the farm in Italy. Yeah. And it's called uh, so <laughs> in Italian. <laughs> I love it. Well, and, and that, that to me is like, it's a hybrid of what the two of you both you know, spoke to in terms of, so it's not like you're just collecting your CSA box, like you go and at least how it was back, back in Paris, maybe it's evolved, but like you'd go to your pickup location, whatever, once a week or once every two Mm -hmm. weeks. And then you would go and pick up your order from each local producer. So you still Mm -hmm. had the opportunity to have that exchange with them. Um, but it was it was like really organized and like packaged up for you, so to speak. Um, so I just think that that's it's interesting to observe all of these different models and how you can get this freshly harvested food, um, regardless of you know from living in Udine to living in Chicago to living in Paris. Um, you know we're talking about a lot of different models, which is exactly what we wanted to to bring up with you um, in terms of, okay, again, for listeners that may be at different levels of understanding or involvement in, you know, supporting urban farms, how can people find out more about urban farms? Like where, where do they begin? What are some good resources? What, and also like speaking to that, you know, from your experience and from your network, how is it varying from Europe to the U.S. and then, you know, on like a global level in terms of accessibility to urban farms and urban farmers? Well, first thing that I would say is like just Google on Google Maps, organic farm and see yeah. what comes out. Right. Yeah. It's a very mm-hmm. it's a very silly thing, but a very powerful because, I mean, mm-hmm. I think that if even like if people from Udine they Google like uh, I don't know uh, organic farm uh, on Google Maps, then they would find us and they yeah. would like you know uh, sort of realize that we are literally like five minutes from their home. Uh, so I think this is one of the first first things to do. Very easy, very simple. It's like the same way you would Google for a gas station or or a pharmacy or a supermarket. Right. Just Google for a farm. Yeah. A, same thing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's a it's a great place to start though you're right you're totally right yeah. <laughs> and I mean and then if, if if with this first step you don't find anything then you know then you can you can do like a more like advanced research and uh and I mean I would google I, I would google like farmers markets for yeah. example uh, because yeah. I think it's it's quite easy to yeah. it's a good research research uh, term right yes. on on uh, on Google Maps or on the just uh, just an internet uh, to yeah. to find what's what's there uh, for you yeah um, and that's where I would personally uh, start or I don't know if you are just you know. 
uh, in a restaurant and you find that the vegetables or the products are, are really good, just ask them where they bought them. Yeah. Um, it's something that point. I always do. Like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, more and more now there is also luckily this switch of mentality also, again, from the chef's perspective, like people are finally, um, you know, being proud of putting the names of the producers and yes. the, the, the names, the real names of the products mm -hmm. on the menus. Yep. So this can help too. Um, and you can see it more and more on the menu. So like, yeah. that's, uh, that's also a good starting point. And then, yeah, I mean, there is, you know, um, in Europe, there is all this like, um, uh, ruche or like, I think outside of France, they also call it food, food hub or something okay. like that. Okay. Um, so you can, you can find like local chaps, chapters of, uh, of that, uh, or, you know, any other platform that, uh, um, uh, like, uh, for example, like, uh, platforms where you can find CS local CSAs, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. schemes around, yep. around your city. I know that in France it's called AMAP, for example, mm -hmm. Um, True. and in Anglo in the Anglo-Saxon world is more like CSA yeah. so community mm -hmm. supported agriculture yep mm -hmm. um, and yeah I mean that's how, where I would start honestly and without you know being like a super um, specific about, about, about that yeah. it's just like very easy yeah. there's something that's uh, you know uh, in, at a manageable distance from your home just go in and check it out right and uh, yeah I think, I think this is, I'm so glad that you touched on this and just before we kind of transition into there's um, the, the next part that um, Mark will talk about. I just, I really want to overemphasize that to our listeners that you gave some really great actionable ways to get connected. And, and I'm even thinking like in the U.S. where I grew up, um, 20 minutes away from, from the city is farmland. And there's tons of farms. And I think, I think historically speaking, we've just assumed like they're big farms and they're farming for, you know, uh, larger production for supermarkets, things like that. But I do think that there's this nuance for a lot of farmers that they do enjoy selling mm -hmm. locally. I mean, the more that I think about it, it's like you always see these little signs like fresh watermelon for sale or fresh eggs. Like clearly not everyone is plugged into the digital world, so to speak, but I think that farmers too, part of the, the, um, the industry, part of what they do is about this community building that you've touched on so much. So I think that's an important one for, for listeners. And I love the suggestion to ask at a restaurant. I have not thought of that, but I always notice, you know, restaurants that list their producers and things like that. So I think that's a great, great tip as well for listeners to, to take away. I mean, that's a great way to get connected and to, you know, understand what's going on. I got this inspiration about asking for restaurants, uh, to, to restaurants because, um, so I have a very good friend of mine. Uh, she's French, um, and, um, she's called Tiffen and she's been living, uh, for the last, uh, I don't know, five years or so, even more, uh, in Latin America in precisely mm -hmm. in Costa Rica and Panama. Ah. And she's a foodie, like a real foodie. And, um, 
And so, I don't know, like, she's always, like, on the hunt for producers and products. And so what she does is that she goes to restaurants, and if there is, I don't know, like, oh, duck meat, you know, for a French person, duck meat is super important, and you yeah. cannot mm-hmm. find it everywhere. And so she's going to ask, where do you buy it? Or, you know, um, or if there is, like, a very nice cheese, then, you know, she's going to ask, where do you make it? And right. how can I find it? And I really think that this is like such a nice approach and you end up like meeting and knowing yes. um, incredible artisans by, by just like asking, yes. uh, where does this come from? How can I get it? You know, I love that. It's simple and it makes total sense. Absolutely. And maybe um, just to uh, finish on, uh, not finish keep going on the urban farming because obviously as you said you you're passionate about sustainability and uh, is the connection between urban farming and sustainability i mean we, we've talked about it but do you think it's something that um is it a model that can be uh pushed more to uh emphasize more those like sustainable models and like uh, you know have, have, a, have an impact because as you said i mean just just outside of just producing the food next to what's consumed but you also obviously have the decarbonated uh, way of, you know, the supply chain and all, all, all those things, because it's such a, a direct connection with your your environment. Do you think it's something that should be more developed and should be pushed more in, in the modern cities? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm totally convinced about, uh, about that. And I mean, there is, I think, somehow also a switch in, in mentality that has to be performed, which is the the... Again, the reconnection, because this this connection is very recent, even though we take it for granted. And then, you know, yeah. we're like we were born in it, sort of our generation. But yeah, like mm-hmm. reestablish the connection, for example, between the seasonality of the food and, uh, and, and, and the food that you can actually find uh, around. Because like, mm-hmm. how can people I mean, I grew up on a farm, so I know what's in season. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know what can grow and not grow in my area at a certain period of time. So this is like, uh, you know, uh, but, but that's sort of like a privileged position because I, 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 uh, I grew up in, in, in this. And what I'm realizing, even talking with, the, you know, good friends or like people who are generally interested about food is that still the seasonality is not necessarily something that everyone masters. Because mm-hmm. we're so used to see the same vegetables all the time throughout mm-hmm, the year. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think that there is a sort of like, uh, oh, yeah, it's a king in January. Why not? You know, uh, I find yeah. them so that they must be that there must be the season. Right. And and um, yeah. and I mean, for example, I think that what's what's interesting in Italy is that, you know, still it's a small country, but we have many, many different climates. So, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and you might be able to find a couple of zucchinis in January because maybe they come from the southern part of Sicily, but still, you know, mm-hmm. let's say generally speaking, it's not the season for zucchini yeah. Um, yeah. January. Yeah. So I think this this very part uh, and 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 the fact that people, um, you know, the the switch of mentality of people like uh, understanding that. Eating stuff in season may, makes makes it like better in taste, of course, because mm-hmm. I mean, uh, 
you know, a tomato in December is not going to taste the same as a tomato right. in August, which has been like soaking in heat and sun and, and yeah. um, the nutrition. So this is, I would say, a part of like uh, urban and local uh, farming that's 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 really important. So the the urban farms or the local farms, they're hopefully gonna propose to you stuff that's yeah. in full season, yeah, and that's meant to be eaten now, not uh, you know in the yeah. in another in another in another season. And so this yeah. is also part of the, you know, the if you want to, to uh, of the ecological footprint of, of, of the product because mm-hmm. it's grown there, it's the best time to grow it. Uh, you don't need yeah. to put, uh, you know, extra chemicals or you don't need to heat the, 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 mm-hmm. the greenhouse yeah. or whatever to grow it because it's a season. And, um, yeah. and so from that point, it also makes, uh, uh, makes sense, I would say. And um, on the other hand, there is also this, um, I mean, I think it's something that we've seen more and more uh, over the last few years with the, you know, Ukrainian crisis, with the, um, even with COVID, you know, the the whole like fragility of of supply chains Mm -hmm. and how they can be easily disrupted. I mean, people going crazy about flour, you know, I still remember those like crazy (laughs) scenes of the supermarket and like... uh, you know, yeah. I mean, this, I think it was a sort of like a wake up call for everyone, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. like closer. Yeah. And also maybe, and, but this is like long shot, I would say we cannot eat that stuff that's not in season and that comes from far away all the time. Yeah. 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 It's not about like, you know, being ultra radical about that, even though, you know, I'm not against that, but let's say um, um, it's more about, okay, uh, that fruit or that veggie, it's amazing. I love it. It comes from far away, but then it becomes a luxury. It's not like mm-hmm. my, I'm not going to have it every day, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's it's about finding the right, the right measure and the right... Um, yeah, the, the right level of, uh, of of commitment that also uh, allows you to have a beautiful food experience that doesn't feel like you're, um, you know, how do you say in French? Uh, no, in, in English, like, so privé, like, you know, you're not, like, uh, missing out yeah. or you're not, like, uh, yeah. there's not too much of, like, separation, like, yeah. oh, no, I really wish I could eat that. Exactly. I, I can't be bad, you yeah. know? kind of thing yeah so i think it's um a little bit of a mix of of everything yeah and i mean unfortunately i i i think that um probably the one of the one of the solutions would be as for everything as for the you know climate building green transition everything there should be probably even more of a push from um um like a government mm-hmm. and uh, institutions yeah. um, because without this pressure without this push uh, then you know all these like urban farms or all these like uh, I would say I, I, I would consider even us as a niche somehow like mm-hmm. you yeah. know we're small we are small agents of 
change. Um, but without, I would say, a bigger push uh, and uh, and the real political will, yeah. we're still gonna be on the niche yeah. and we're not mm-hmm. gonna become made. Yeah, if you see what I mean, yes. right? So yeah. in order to have like this, like the big giants uh, moving in yeah. towards that, um, there there needs to be a collective uh, and and political will. Yeah, to to change things. Yeah. I think I think that you, I mean, outlined it so well, and I personally think that that'll resonate with you know someone who's listening in France or Italy or even the U.S. The one big difference that I will point out, and the three of us have talked about this many many times, um, that question of seasonality. Um, again, if I'm just looking at U.S. or let's say North America, even if you know Canada to Mexico. Um, and even Central America varies greatly, I think, than the U.S. But, you know, that compared to Europe, big difference in seasonality. I think that there's a lot more education, generally speaking, around what does that mean in relation to your food. Um, growing up in the Midwest, it, you know, why can't you have strawberries in January, you know, May, September, and December? Like, it's totally widely available at the supermarket. And now having lived in different places and, you know, having amazingly, you know, wonderful friends like you, Katarina, like my worldview, you know, has expanded and developed and thank God, but that's, that's, you know, been in the course of adulthood. So my point is just, you know, bringing it back to perhaps some, you know, US-based listeners and maybe even other, you know, European-based listeners. I think that this question of seasonality is so important and it's a conversation that I, I hope it'll spark something for people who don't know so much about it um, to do a little bit of their own research and understand. And I think a, a great resource is, as you mentioned earlier, go to your local farmer's market, talk to the producers. I'm sure that they are more than willing and excited to, you know, to educate um, to educate people on, on what does that mean? Mm-hmm. What, what it, why, and why is it important? And why should we all care and pay attention? And, and, do, and, and do some, uh, some canning because, uh, <laughs> what, what's, what's best than buying tomatoes in the summer, make it into beautiful tomato sauce and you open it in the winter and then you're like, oh my God, summer's here. <laughs> and, and it's still, it takes way more delicious than yeah. you buy anything in the, in the store. Yeah, so. no, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. And I, and I, and what you were talking about this, um, uh, I think it's something that I forgot to mention mm-hmm. that we're really trying to do at the yeah. farm. Because um, you, you were saying that you discovered many of these things or like, you know, uh, like people in your network, they um, found out about these things when they were adults. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing that we really try to do is to teach them young. So we're really working yes. also with schools and like elementary schools, kindergartens, to offer uh, pupils uh, these experiences at the farm, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. because we think that kids have such an enormous power yes. towards their parents yes. <laughs> uh, when it comes to changing <laughs> habits for for you know everything. So yeah. um, I think that if you teach kids seasonality, then they're gonna be the first ones to tell their parents why are we eating tomatoes now. Um, and, uh, and then you know like uh, I think this has a very 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 strong power in changing the habits of the, of the family yes. and also 
somehow for them when they become adults they would already know this stuff right so mm-hmm. this is um, yeah it's built in really part yeah. an important part of, of the of the entire mm-hmm. education absolutely and for kids it's it's I, I think somehow I mean you know an adult uh, is gonna is going to have all his limits I would say and all his like uh, uh, mental constructions that. Uh, mm-hmm. you know you have because you're adult right yeah uh with kids it's like you know they get it it's not uh you don't have to convince uh too much <laughs> like they they, they accept it easily. they accept it exactly yeah uh, and it becomes part of their value yeah. system that, that you know is- yeah Absolutely. maybe to sort of to to get us from this part into the next part, um, which will be our sort of wrap up. But, um, you know, we want to talk a little bit about the future. So Mark, I don't know if you want to, you know, if you want to take it away. Yeah. Um, maybe, um, one thing that we, uh, we wanted to ask you also is, um, is it, uh, is open farming the way of the future in the sense of, uh, We've uh, we've seen. I mean, uh, we talking with you as well. Like those uh, those new generation of um, farmers coming coming in the game. Uh, not not like you, because again, you you your family was in farming before. But people that it's a second career, or they want to they want to go back to the the earth and like grow their own thing and like bring their own uh, different experience to the to the to farming. Uh, do you think it's something that's uh, it's the way of the future that we're going to see more and more of that? Um, it's something that should, people should be on the lookout for. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I would say yes. I mean, uh, I I really hope that this is going to be the way of the future. I I and I mean, if if not your urban farming, at least people starting to get interested about their food again. You know yeah. and. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, it can also just be like um, people trying to grow them their own food, even like a sm- super small, tiny part of it. But mm-hmm. you know, just learning the importance of of, uh, of 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 this act, which is really like you know, first step towards also your autonomy. I would say. And uh, I mean, on the other hand, also this, you know, to to sort of like reestablish this connection that has been broken for, you know, the past decades, which also I think, um, I don't know, I mean, like my my sensation is that um, we have lost the capacity also to empathize with producers and stuff because we don't know how much effort it takes to produce our food. We just think that you know the 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 the, the carrots are gonna pop in the <laughs> in our fridge <laughs> sort of. yeah um yeah. and i think that if you understand that everything is linked if you understand that the way that you yeah. the way your food is grown impacts so many things on many different layers yeah. then yeah by definition you're gonna start paying attention of many other things that are just you know connected to food but they're not just food related right so it goes from human rights in the in the food supply chains it goes yeah. from you know co2 footprints of, of the products is go it goes mm-hmm. through like many many like food waste like so many so many issues are just like yeah. lo- located in food as an intersection so yeah. i think that 
to go going back to the original question yes i mean i hope that um urban local farming is going to be one of the answers uh, yeah. for sure mm-hmm. and mm, generally speaking uh people getting interested and passionate about yeah. their food again right so yeah mm-hmm. i mean if anyone anyone who has listened to this episode if they have not gotten more passionate about their food from when we started <laughs> to the end I mean, you have a problem. Yeah, because I mean, we've given, you've given our listeners a lot to think about. I really, truly, I'm convinced that most people, generally speaking, just, you know, day in and day out, don't necessarily think about it. You brought up a great point, the human rights part in the food supply change, how, how hard it is to produce food. And when we think about producing food, I mean, for the billions of people on earth, you know what I mean? What what goes into that? And then again, full circle, how important it is to support your local farmers, your local producers, figure out how to get in touch with them, figure out how to purchase directly from them. Uh, I think nine times out of 10, you know, even if it's a large farm and you're not sure, do they, you know, do they sell like that? Ask, because I, I, I really feel like most producers want to have that connection, want to build that, that sense of community. Um, and really, I think a lot of us are unaware it's right outside your own door, wherever you live, exactly. you know, from rural to, to city living, um, it, it's accessible. You just maybe have to take a little time to, you know, to research it. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And, um, uh, I think it's, um, it's easier than you think. Yes, yes, I love that. Also, you can re- you can really start with the very very small very small steps, and it's not about like uh, you know, um, yeah, it's not it's not about like being radical about that, but just like starting to get interested as a first yeah. step, right? Yeah, let the curiosity Absolutely. lead the way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, um, Katerina, we have uh, we are reaching the the towards the end of the this episode. We we have a little tradition over here. Uh, <laughs> we have two two specific questions that we like to ask all our guests. Uh, are you uh, would you like? To, are you ready to? Uh, are you ready for the challenge? Yes. Yeah. Ready. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's go with the first one. So. If someone is at the beginning of their sustainability journey, where should they start, in your opinion? Um, start with it, something. It doesn't have to be pet. related to uh, to uh, to farming. Yeah, it can be, uh, just, uh, farming mm-hmm. or food. Yeah. Um, start with something you're interested about, and something that you're you know um, curious about because it's. I think everyone has sort of like his entry points. There is, uh, you know, people who are into sustainability from a health perspective. Uh, There is people who are into sustainability because it's political, because Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, big picture stuff, big talks and and big reflections and stuff. Uh, There is people who are into sustainability because of, uh, I don't know, many other reasons, because they're makers, you know, they want to do stuff. So they, they, they get um interested in all this like in, in all these topics so uh, it's 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 about starting 
like start from where something that you like and yeah. that you want to be curious about and that you want to be passionate about because I mean it's it makes it just much easier right right so it's yeah. just like uh yeah and there is no one shoe fits all I mean maybe I don't care at mm-hmm. all about food sustainability but my thing is the circular economy in uh, yeah. textiles yep whatever I mean just start wherever you you like I love that. That's a that's a wonderful piece of advice. Start start what with what interests you and start at your own pace and level. Um, so let's let's turn the question on to you specifically. Um, and can can you share with us what is one thing that you personally have learned about sustainability that you wish you would have learned earlier? So, like take it into whatever direction you want. Some sort of learning moment, an example. It's a good, uh, very good question. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that for me, you know, um, maybe from my training or like education and stuff, I always thought sustainability, especially at the beginning, because I, like I, my bachelor studies is in international relations mm-hmm. and diplomacy. And, uh, and mm-hmm. like, um, I would say as a starting point, I always like... Uh, thought, oh, sustainability is all about the big picture. Or, you know, if we want to change things, we have to act always at the systemic level, which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. true in many ways, because some big issues you can only solve if you rethink the entire system. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, on the other hand, something has to start. And it has, it can also be something very grassroots, very small, uh, very uh, concrete, very tangible, um, which um, I think that, you know, something like as small as a farm or as small as your garden, it's, it's or as, as small as your own um, behavior is mm-hmm. for me already a first step. Uh, towards uh, sustainability and the thing is that we sort of tend to justify ourselves you know saying like oh i mean what what am i i'm just like this tiny tiny little ant in Mm -hmm. the system uh so what what can i bring you know what's my change and i mean just imagine if all of us were asking ourselves the same question and making these tiny changes That yeah. would bring the systemic change that we that we need, right? So exactly, I think exactly. Um, on my like something that I wish I'd known earlier, or um, is is this importance of of this like little things? And yeah. okay, maybe mm-hmm. in your scope, or you cannot uh, aim to go for the big change but like just think about how many people you know right yeah. and uh, just how mm-hmm. many people's minds you can change just by talking right yeah um so i i to, to sum it up i would say that every small change matters <laughs> and uh, and that's that's some that's maybe something that i would like to share with you guys it's like you know start wherever you are yeah mm-hmm. and um yeah i love that and uh, I think mm-hmm. that it, it means a lot to listeners coming from someone like you that, you know, again, your experience, your, you know, current day position, um, 
that you can break it down and, you know, and also share your own experience of it's, it's really about the micro start, start small. That's powerful. No, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So Katrina, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. That was really a, a true, true pleasure. Um, can you, can you remind our listeners where they can, uh, they can find you, follow the farm, all that good stuff? Uh, sure. I mean, um, I think the easiest and probably the nicest uh, way to find out uh, about us is through social media. So we have an Instagram account, Lorto Felice, and uh, and also a Facebook uh, account. Or you can just Google Lorto Felice Udine um, and uh, you can find out more about us. You can see a couple of pictures of all the weird tomatoes and beans and, and, uh, and activities that we do at the farm. Uh, I think that's the, the that's the nicest way to sort of like get a glimpse of what it means um, farming for uh, yeah. for us, and um, yeah, or, or come to Italy. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah, that's the number one thing. But that's true that uh, the your Instagram account is great because you really yeah. do a great job at you know uh, showcasing um, the beautiful veggies that you you're growing yeah. and what's happening in the farm. So again, even, uh, it's just, it's just a pleasure. It just, it just makes me happy to see those pictures in my, my it's, feet. It's so. Exactly. <laughs> even, even better if you can see it in person. So if yeah, someone needs yeah. a, a holiday, a holiday idea, go to Udine. You won't regret it. <laughs> yeah. but, but we'll make sure to include all of that in, uh, in the show notes, but, uh, once again, Katerina, thank you so much. And uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk again. There's, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> Here or Thank you, guys. Else. It's been a real pleasure. That's the show for today. We're glad that you tuned in. Check out the show notes for more information about our guests and where to find them. And if you enjoyed the show, hit the subscribe button and share with a friend. We would also love to hear from you. So feel free to reach out. Until next time. See you down the green route.